The Chaplet by Tertullian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by David Ronald. Very lately it happened thus. While the bounty of our most excellent emperors was dispensed in the camp, the soldiers, laurel-crowned, were approaching. One of them, more a soldier of God, more steadfast than the rest of his brethren, who had imagined that they could serve two masters, his head alone uncovered, the useless crown in his hand. Already, even by that peculiarity known to every one as a Christian, was nobly conspicuous. Accordingly, all began to mark him out, jeering him at a distance, gnashing on him near at hand. The murmur is wafted to the tribune, when the person had just left the ranks. The tribune at once puts the question to him, Why are you so different in your attire? He declared that he had no liberty to wear the crown with the rest. Being urgently asked for his reasons, he answered, I am a Christian. O soldier, boasting thyself in God. Then the case was considered and voted on. The matter was remitted to a higher tribunal. The offender was conducted to the prefects. At once, he put away the heavy cloak, his disburdening commenced. He loosed from his foot the military shoe, beginning to stand upon holy ground. He gave up the sword, which was not necessary, either for the protection of our Lord. From his hand, likewise, dropped the laurel crown, and now, purple-clad, with the hope of his own blood, shod with the preparation of the gospel, girt with the sharper word of God, completely equipped in the apostle's armor, and crowned more worthily with the white crown of martyrdom. He awaits in prison the largesse of Christ. Thereafter, averse judgments began to be passed upon his conduct, whether on the part of Christians, I do not know, for those of the heathen are not different, as if he were headstrong and rash and too eager to die, because, in being taken to the task about a mere matter of dress, he brought trouble on the bearers of the name. He, forsooth, alone brave among so many soldier brethren, he alone a Christian. It is plain that as they have rejected the prophecies of the Holy Spirit, they are also proposing the refusal of martyrdom. So they murmur that a peace so good and long is endangered for them. Nor do I doubt that some are already turning their back on the scriptures, are making ready their luggage, are equipped for flight from city to city. For that is all of the gospel they care to remember. I know, too, their pastors are lions in peace, dear in the fight. As to the questions asked for extorting confessions from us, we shall teach elsewhere. Now, as they put forth also the objection, but where are we forbidden to be crowned? I shall take this point up as more suitable to be treated of here, being the essence, in fact, of the present contention, so that, on the one hand, the inquirers who are ignorant but anxious may be instructed, and on the other, those may be refuted who try to vindicate the sin, especially the laurel-crowned Christians themselves, to whom it is merely a question of debate, as if it might be regarded as either no trespass at all, or at least a doubtful one, because it may be made the subject of investigation. That it is neither sinless nor doubtful, I shall now, however, show. I affirm that not one of the faithful has ever a crown upon his head except at a time of trial. That is the case with all, from catechumens to confessors and martyrs, 
or, as the case may be, deniers. Consider then, whence, the custom about which we are now chiefly inquiring got its authority. But when the question is raised why it is observed, it is meanwhile evident that it is observed. Therefore, that can neither be regarded as no offense or an uncertain one which is perpetrated against a practice which is capable of defense, on the ground even of its repute, and is sufficiently ratified by the support of general acceptance. It is undoubted, so that we ought to inquire into the reason of the thing, but without prejudice to the practice, not for the purpose of overthrowing it, but rather of building it up, that you may all the more carefully observe it, when you are also satisfied as to its reason. But what sort of procedure is it for one to be bringing into debate a practice when he has fallen from it, and to be seeking the explanation of his having ever had it when he has left it off? Since, although he may wish to seem, on this account, desirous to investigate it, that he may show that he has not done wrong in giving it up, it is evident that he nevertheless transgressed previously in its presumptuous observance. If he has done no wrong to-day in accepting the crown, he offended before in refusing it. This treatise, therefore, will not be for those who are not in a proper condition for inquiry, but for those who, with the real desire of getting instruction, bring forward not a question for debate, but a request for advice. For it is from this desire that a true inquiry always proceeds, and I praise the faith which has believed in the duty of complying with the rule before it has learned the reason of it. An easy thing it is at once to demand where it is written that we should not be crowned. But is it written that we should be crowned? Indeed, in urgently demanding the warrant of Scripture in a different side from their own, men prejudge that the support of Scripture ought no less to appear on their part. For if it shall be said that it is lawful to be crowned on this ground, that Scripture does not forbid it, it will as validity be retorted that just on this ground is the crown unlawful, because the Scripture does not enjoin it. What shall discipline do? Shall it accept both things, as if neither were forbidden? Or shall it refuse both, as if neither were enjoined? But, quote, the thing which is not forbidden is freely permitted, end quote. I should rather say, that what has not been freely allowed is forbidden. And how long shall we draw this saw to and fro through this line, when we have an ancient practice which by anticipation has made for us the state, i.e. of the question? If no passage of scripture has prescribed it, assuredly custom, which without doubt flowed from tradition, has confirmed it. For how can anything come into use if it has not first been handed down? Even in pleading tradition, written authority, you say, must be demanded. Let us inquire, therefore, whether tradition, unless it be written, should not be admitted. Certainly we shall say that it ought not to be admitted if no cases of other practices, which, without any written instrument, we maintain on the ground of tradition alone, and the countenance thereafter of custom, affords us any precedent. To deal with this matter briefly, I shall begin with baptism. When we are going to enter the water, but a little before, in the presence of the congregation, and under the hand of the president, we solemnly profess that we disown the devil and his pomp, and his angels. Hereupon we are thrice immersed, making a somewhat ampler pledge than the Lord has appointed in the gospel. Then, 
when we are taken up as newborn children we taste first of all a mixture of milk and honey and from that day we refrain from the daily bath for a whole week we take also in congregations before daybreak and from the hand of none but the presidents the sacrament of the eucharist which the lord both commanded to be eaten at meal times and enjoined to be taken by all alike as often as the anniversary comes round we make offerings for the dead as birthday honours we count fasting or kneeling in worship on the lord's day to be unlawful we rejoice in the same privilege also from easter to whit sunday we feel pained should any wine or bread even though our own be cast upon the ground at every forward step and movement at every going in and out when we put on our clothes and shoes when we bathe when we sit at the table when we light the lamps on couch on seat in all the ordinary actions of daily life we trace upon the forehead the sign if for these and other such rules you insist upon having positive scripture injunction you will find none tradition will be held forth to you as the originator of them custom as their strengthener and faith as their observer that reason will support tradition and custom and faith you will either yourself perceive or learn from some one who has meanwhile you will believe that there is some reason to which submission is due i add still one case more as it will be proper to show you how it was among the ancients also among the jews so usual is it for their women to have the head veiled that they may thereby be recognized i ask in this instance for the law i put the apostle aside if rebecca at once drew down her veil when in the distance she saw her betrothed this modesty of a mere private individual could not have made a law or it will have made it only for those who have the reason which she had let virgins alone be veiled and this when they are coming to be married and not till they have recognized their destined husband if susanna also who is subjugated to unveiling on her trial furnishes an argument for the veiling of women i can say here also the veil was a voluntary thing she had come accused ashamed of the disgrace she had brought on herself properly concealing her beauty even because now she feared to please but i should not suppose that when it was her aim to please she took walks with a veil on in her husband's avenue grant now that she was always veiled in this particular case too or in fact in that of any other i demand the dress law if i nowhere find a law it follows that tradition has given the fashion in question to custom to find subsequently its authorization in the apostle's sanction from the true interpretation of reason this instances therefore will make it sufficiently plain that you can vindicate the keeping of even unwritten tradition established by custom the proper witness for tradition when demonstrated by long-continued observance but even in civil matters custom is accepted as law when positive legal enactment is wanting and it is the same thing whether it depends on writing or on reason since reason is in fact the basis of law but you say if reason is the ground of law all will now henceforth have to be counted law whoever brings it forward which shall have reason as its ground or do you think that every believer is entitled to originate and establish a law if only it be such as is agreeable to god as is helpful to discipline as promotes salvation when the lord says quote, but why do you not even of your own selves judge what is right end quote, and not merely in regard to a judicial sentence 
but in regard to every decision and matters we are called on to consider the apostle also says quote, if of anything you are ignorant god shall reveal it unto you End quote. he himself too being accustomed to afford counsel though he had not the command of the lord and to dictate of himself as possessing the spirit of god who guides into all truth therefore his advice has by warrant of divine reason become equivalent to nothing less than a divine command earnestly now inquire of this teacher keeping intact your regard for tradition from whomsoever it originally sprang nor have regard to the author but to the authority and especially of that custom itself which on this very account we should revere that we may not want an interpreter so that if reason too is god's gift you may then learn not whether custom has to be followed by you but why the argument for christian practices becomes all the stronger when also nature which is the first rule of all supports them well she is the first who lays it down that a crown does not become the head but i think ours is the god of nature who fashioned man and that he might desire appreciate become partaker of the pleasures afforded by his creatures endowed him with certain senses acting through members which so to speak are their peculiar instruments the sense of hearing he has planted in the ears that of sight lighted up in the eyes that of taste shut up in the mouth that of smell wafted into the nose that of touch fixed on the tips of the fingers by means of these organs of the outer man doing duty to the inner man the enjoyments of the divine gifts are conveyed by the senses to the soul what then in flowers affords you enjoyment for it is the flowers of the field which are the peculiar at least the chief material of crowns either smell you say or colour or both together what will be the senses of colour and smell those of seeing and smelling i suppose what members have had these senses allotted to them the eyes and the nose if i am not mistaken with sight and smell then make use of flowers for these are the senses by which they are meant to be enjoyed use them by means of the eyes and nose which are the members to which these senses belong you have got the thing from god the mode of it from the world but an extraordinary mode does not prevent the use of the thing in the common way let flowers then both when fastened into each other and tied together in thread and rush be what they are when free when loose things to be looked at and smelt you count it a crown let us say when you have a bunch of them bound together in a series that you may carry many at one time that you may enjoy them all at once well lay them in your bosom if they are so singularly pure and strew them on your couch if they are so exquisitely soft and consign them to your cup if they are so perfectly harmless have the pleasure of them in as many ways as they appeal to your senses but what taste for a flower what sense for anything belonging to a crown but its band have you in the head which is able neither to distinguish colour nor to inhale sweet perfumes nor to appreciate softness it is as much against nature to long after a flower with the head as it is to crave food with the ear or sound with the nostril but everything which is against nature deserves to be branded as monstrous among all men but with us it is to be condemned also as sacrilege against god the lord and creator of nature demanding then a law of god you have that common one prevailing all over the world engraven on the natural tables on which the apostle too is wont to appeal as when in respect of the woman's veil he says quote, does not even nature teach you end quote as when to the romans affirming that the heathen do by nature those things which the law requires 
he suggests both natural law and a law revealing nature yes and also in the first chapter of the epistle he authenticates nature when he asserts that males and females changed among themselves the natural use of the creature into that which is unnatural by way of penal retribution for their error we first of all indeed know god himself by the teaching of nature calling him god of gods taking for granted that he is good and invoking him as judge is it a question with you whether for the enjoyment of his creatures nature should be our guide that we may not be carried away in the direction in which the rival of god has corrupted along with man himself the entire creation which had been made over to our race for certain uses whence the apostle says that it too unwillingly became subject to vanity completely bereft of its original character first by vain then by base unrighteous and ungodly uses it is thus accordingly in the pleasures of the shows that the creature is dishonoured by those who by nature indeed perceive that all the materials of which shows are got up to belong to god but lack the knowledge to perceive as well that they have all been changed by the devil but with this topic we have for the sake of our own play lovers sufficiently dealt and that too in a work in greek let these dealers in crowns then recognize in the meantime the authority of nature on the ground of a common sense as human beings and the certifications of their peculiar religion as according to the last chapter worshippers of the god of nature and as it were thus over and above what is required let them consider those other reasons too which forbid us wearing crowns especially on the head and indeed crowns of every sort for we are obliged to turn from the rule of nature which we share with mankind in general that we may maintain the whole peculiarity of our christian discipline in relation also to other kinds of crowns which seem to have been provided for different uses as being composed of different substances lest because they do not consist of flowers the use of which nature has indicated as it does in the case of this military laurel one itself they may be thought not to come under the prohibition of our sect since they have escaped any objections of nature i see then that we must go into the matter both with more research and more fully from its beginnings on through its successive stages of growth to its more erratic developments for this we need to turn to heathen literature for things belonging to the heathen must be proved from their own documents the little of this i have acquired will i believe be enough if there really was a pandora whom hesiod mentions as the first of women hers was the first head the graces crowned for she received gifts from all the gods when she got her name pandora but moses a prophet not a poet shepherd shows us the first woman eve having her loins more naturally girt about with leaves than her temples with flowers pandora then is a myth and so we have to blush for the origin of the crown even on the ground of the falsehood connected with it and as will soon appear on the ground no less of its realities for it is an undoubted fact that certain persons either originated the thing or shed lustre on it pharisides relates that saturn was the first who wore a crown diodorus that jupiter after conquering the titans was honored with this gift by the rest of the gods to priapus also the same author assigns fillets and to ariadne a garland of gold and of indian gems the gift of vulcan afterwards of bacchus and subsequently turned into a constellation callimachus has put a vine-crown upon juno 
so too at argos her statue vine-wreathed with a lion's skin placed beneath her feet exhibits the stepmother exulting over the spoils of her two stepsons hercules displays upon his head sometimes popular sometimes wild olive sometimes parsley you have the tragedy of cerberus you have pindar and besides callimachus who mentions that apollo too when he had killed the delphic serpent as a suppliant put on a laurel garland for among the ancients supplicants were wont to be crowned harpocration argues that bacchus the same as osiris among the egyptians was designedly crowned with ivy because it is the nature of ivy to protect the brain against drowsiness but that in another way also bacchus was the originator of the laurel crown the crown in which he celebrated his triumph over the indians even the rabble acknowledge when they call the days dedicated to him the quote, great crown unquote. if you open again the writings of the egyptian leo you learn that isis was the first who discovered and wore ears of corn upon her head a thing more suited to the belly those who want additional information will find an ample exposition of the subject in claudius saturnitus a writer of distinguished talent who treats this question also for he has a book on crowns so explaining their beginnings as well as causes and kinds and rights that you find all that is charming in the flower all that is beautiful in the leafy branch and every sod or vine shoot has been dedicated to some head or other making it abundantly clear how foreign to us we should judge the custom of the crowned head introduced as it was by and thereafter constantly managed for the honour of those whom the world has believed to be gods if the devil a liar from the beginning is even in this matter working for his false system of godhead idolatry he had himself also without doubt provided for his god lie being carried out what sort of thing then must that be counted among the people of the true god which was brought in by the nations in honour of the devil's candidates and was set apart from the beginning to no other than these and which even then received its consecration to idolatry by idols and in idols yet alive not as if an idol were anything but since the things which others offer up to idols belong to demons but if the things which others offer to them belong to demons how much more what idols offer to themselves when they were in life the demons themselves doubtless had made provision for themselves by means of those whom they had possessed while in a state of desire and craving before provision had been actually made hold fast in the meantime this persuasion while i examine a question which comes in our way for i already hear it is said that many other things as well as crowns have been invented by those whom the world believes to be gods and that they are notwithstanding to be met with both in our present usages and in those of early saints and in the service of god and in christ himself who did his work as man by no other than these ordinary instrumentalities of human life well let it be so nor shall i inquire any farther back into the origin of these things let mercury have been the first who taught the knowledge of letters i will own that they are requisite both for the business and commerce of life and for performing our devotion to god nay if he also first strung the cord to give forth melody i will not deny when listening to david that this invention has been in use with the saints and has ministered to god let Aesculapius have been the first who sought and discovered cures Isaiah mentions that he ordered hezekiah medicine when he was sick paul too knows that a little wine does the stomach good let minerva have been the first who built a ship 
I shall see Jonah and the apostles sailing. Nay, there is more than this, for even Christ we shall find has ordinary raiment. Paul, too, has his cloak. If at once of every article of furniture and each household vessel you name some god of the world as the originator, well, I must recognize Christ, both as he reclines on a couch, and when he presents a basin for the feet of his disciples, and when he pours water into it from an ewer, and when he is girt about with linen towel, a garment specially sacred to Osiris. It is thus in general I reply upon the point, admitting indeed that we use along with other these articles but challenging that this be judged in the light of the distinction between things agreeable and things opposed to reason because the promiscuous employment of them is deceptive concealing the corruption of the creature by which it has been made subject to vanity for we affirm that those things only are proper to be used whether by ourselves or by those who live before us and alone befit the service of a god in christ himself which to meet the necessities of human life supply what is simply useful and affords real assistance and honorable comfort so that they may be well believed to have come from god's own inspiration who first of all no doubt provided for and taught and ministered to the enjoyment i should suppose of his own man as for the things which are out of this class they are not fit to be used among us especially those which on the account indeed are not to be found either with the world or in the ways of christ in short what patriarch what prophet what levite or priest or ruler or at a later period what apostle or preacher of the gospel or bishop do you ever find the wearer of a crown i think not even the temple of god itself was crowned as neither was the ark of the testament nor the tabernacle of witness nor the altar nor the candlestick crowned though certainly both on that first solemnity of the dedication and in that second rejoicing for the restoration crowning would have been most suitable if it were worthy of god but if these things were figures of us for we are temples of god and altars and lights and sacred vessels this too they in figure set forth that the people of god ought not to be crowned the reality must always correspond with the image if perhaps you object that christ himself was crowned to that you will get the brief reply be you too crowned as he was you have full permission yet even that crown of insolent ungodliness was not of any decree of the jewish people it was a device of the roman soldiers taken from the practice of the world, a practice which the people of God never allowed either on the occasion of public rejoicing or to gratify innate luxury. So they returned from the Babylonish captivity with timbrels and flutes and psalteries more suitably than with crowns, and after eating and drinking, uncrowned, they rose up to play. Neither would the account of the rejoicing nor the exposure of the luxury have been silent touching the honor or dishonor of the crown. Thus too Isaiah, as he says, with timbrels and psalteries and flutes they drank wine, would have added with crowns if this practice had ever place in the things of God. So, when you allege that the ornaments of the heathen deities are found no less with God, with the subject of claiming among these for general use the head-crown, you already lay it down for yourself, that we may not have among us, as a thing whose use we are to share with others, what is not to be found in the service of God. Well, 
What is so unworthy of God indeed as that which is worthy of an idol? But what is worthy of an idol as that which is also worthy of a dead man? For it is the privilege of the dead also to be thus crowned, as they too straightway become idols, both by their dress and the service of deification, which deification is with us a second idolatry. Wanting, then, the sense it will be theirs to use, the thing for which the sense is wanting, just as if in full possession of the sense they wish to abuse it, when there ceases to be any reality in the use, there is no distinction between using and abusing. Who can abuse a thing when the precipient nature with which he wishes to carry out his purpose is not his to use it? The apostle, moreover, forbids us to abuse, while he would more naturally have taught us not to use, unless on the ground that, where there is no sense for things, there is no wrong use of them. But the whole affair is meaningless, and is, in fact, a dead work so far concerns the idols, though, without doubt, a living one as respects the demons to whom the religious rite belongs. The idols of the heathen, says David, are silver and gold. They have eyes and see not, a nose and smell not, hands, and they will not handle. By means of these organs, indeed, we are to enjoy flowers, but if he declares that those who make idols will be like them, they already are so who use anything after the style of idol adornings. Quote, to the pure all things are pure, so, likewise, all things to the impure are impure. End quote. But nothing is more impure than idols. The substances are themselves as creatures of God without impurity, and in this their native state are free to the use of all. But the ministries to which in their use they are devoted make all the difference, for I too kill a cock for myself, just as Socrates did for Aesculapius. And if the smell of some place or other offends me, I burn the Arabian product myself, but not with the same ceremony, nor in the same dress, nor with the same pomp, with which it is done to idols. If the creature is defiled by a mere word, as the apostle teaches, quote, but if any one say, this is offered in sacrifice to idols, you must not touch it, end quote, much more when it is polluted by the dress and rites and pomp of what is offered to the gods, thus the crown also is made out to be an offering to idols, for with this ceremony and dress and pomp it is presented in sacrifice to idols, its originators to whom its use is specifically given over, and chiefly on this account that what has no place among the things of God may not be admitted into use with us as with others. Wherefore the apostle exclaims, flee idolatry certainly idolatry whole and entire he means reflect on what a thicket it is and how many thorns lie hid in it nothing must be given to an idol and so nothing must be taken from one if it is inconsistent with faith to recline in an idol temple what is it to appear in an idol dress what communion have christ and belial therefore flee from it for he enjoins us to keep at a distance from idolatry, to have no close dealings with it of any kind. Even an earthly serpent sucks in men at some distance with its breath. Going still further, John says, quote, My little children, keep yourself from idols. End quote. Not now from idolatry, as if from the service of it, but from idols, that is, from any resemblance to them. For it is an unworthy thing that you, the image of the living God, should become the likeness of an idol and a dead man. Thus far, we assert that this attire belongs to idols, 
both from the history of its origin and from its use by false religion on this ground besides that while it is not mentioned as connected with the worship of god it is more and more given over to those in whose antiquities as well as festivals and services it is found in a word the very doors the very victims and altars the very servants and priests are crowned you have in claudius the crowns of all the various colleges of priests we have added also that distinction between things altogether different from each other things namely agreeable and things contrary to reason in answer to those who because there happens to be the use of some things in common maintain the right of participation in all things with reference to this part of the subject therefore it now remains that the special grounds for wearing crowns should be examined that while we show these to be foreign nay even opposed to our christian discipline we may demonstrate that none of them have any plea of reason to support it on the basis of which this article of dress might be vindicated as one in whose use we can participate as even some others may whose instances are cast up to us to begin with the real ground of the military crown i think we must first inquire whether warfare is proper at all for christians what sense is there in discussing the merely accidental when that on which it rests is to be condemned do we believe it lawful for a human oath to be superadded to one divine for a man to come under promise to another master after christ and to abjure father mother and all nearest kinsfolk whom even the law has commanded us to honour and love next to god himself to whom the gospel too holding them only of less account than christ has in like manner rendered honour shall it be held lawful to make an occupation of the sword when the lord proclaims that he who uses the sword shall perish by the sword and shall the son of peace take part in the battle when it does not come him even to sue at law and shall he apply the chain and the prison and the torture and the punishment who is not the avenger even of his own wrongs shall he forsooth either keep watch service for others more than for christ or shall he do it on the lord's day when he does not even do it for christ himself and shall he keep guard before the temples which he has renounced and shall he take a meal where the apostle has forbidden him and shall he diligently protect by night those whom in the daytime he has put to flight by the exorcisms leaning and resting on the spear the while with which christ's side was pierced shall he carry a flag too hostile to christ and shall he ask a watchword from the emperor who has already received one from god shall he be disturbed in death by the trumpet of the trumpeteer who expects to be aroused by the angel's trump and shall the christian be burned according to the camp rule when he was not permitted to burn incense to an idol when to him christ remitted the punishment of fire then how many other offences there are involved in the performances of camp offices which we must hold to involve a transgression of god's law you may see by a slight survey the very carrying of the name over from the camp of light to the camp of darkness is a violation of it of course if faith comes later and finds any preoccupied with military service their case is different as in the instance of those whom john used to receive for baptism and of those most faithful centurions i mean the centurion whom christ approves and the centurion whom peter instructs yet at the same time when a man has become a believer and faith has been sealed there must be either an immediate abandonment of it which has been the course with many or all sorts of quibbling will have to be resorted to in order to avoid offending god and that is not allowed even outside of military service 
or last of all for god the fate must be endured which a citizen faith has been no less ready to accept neither does military service hold out escape from punishment of sins or exemption from martyrdom nowhere does the christian change his character there is one gospel and the same jesus who will one day deny everyone who denies and acknowledge everyone who acknowledges god who will save too the life which has been lost for his sake but on the other hand destroy that which regain has been saved to his dishonor with him the faithful citizen is a soldier just as the soldier is a citizen a state of faith admits no plea of necessity they are under no necessity to sin whose one necessity is that they do not sin for if one is pressed to the offering of sacrifice and the sheer denial of christ by the necessity of torture or the punishment yet discipline does not connive even at that necessity because there is a higher necessity to dread denying to undergo martyrdom than to escape from suffering and to render the homage required in fact an excuse of this sort overturns the entire essence of our sacrament removing even the obstacle to voluntary sins for it will be possible also to maintain that inclination is a necessity as involving in it forsooth a sort of compulsion i have in fact disposed of this very allegation of necessity with reference to the pleas by which crowns connected with official position are vindicated in support of which it is in common use since for this very reason offices must be either refused that we may not fall into acts of sin or martyrdoms endured that we may get quit of offices touching this primary aspect of the question as to the unlawfulness even of a military life itself i shall not add more that the secondary question may be restored to its place indeed if putting my strength to the question i banish from us the military life i should now to no purpose issue a challenge on the matter of the military crown suppose then that the military service is lawful as far as the plea for the crown is concerned but i first say a word also about the crown itself this laurel one is sacred to apollo or bacchus to the former as the god of archery to the latter as the god of triumphs in like manner claudius teaches when he tells us that soldiers are wont too to be wreathed in myrtle for the myrtle belongs to venus the mother of the aeniadi the mistress also of the god of war who through ilia and the romuli is roman but i do not believe that venus is roman as well as mars because of the vexation the concubine gave her when military service again is crowned with olive the idolatry has respect to minerva who is equally the goddess of arms but got a crown of the tree referred to because of the peace she made with neptune in these respects the superstition of the military garland will be everywhere defiled and all defiling and it is further defiled i should think also in the grounds of it lo the yearly public pronouncing of vows what does that bear on its face to be it takes place first in the part of the camp where the general's tent is and then in the temples in addition to the places observe the words also quote, we vow that you o jupiter will then have an ox with gold decorated horns End quote. what does the utterance mean without a doubt the denial of christ albeit the christian says nothing in these places with the mouth he makes his response by having the crown on his head this laurel is likewise commanded to be used at the distribution of the largesse so you see idolatry is not without its gain selling as it does christ for pieces of gold as judas did for pieces of silver will it be quote, 
ye cannot serve God and mammon, end quote, to devote your energies to mammon and to depart from God? Will it be, quote, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's, end quote, not only not to render the human being to God, but even to take the denarius from Caesar? Is the laurel of the triumph made of leaves or of corpses? Is it adorned with ribbons or with tombs? Is it bedowed with ointments or with tears of wives and mothers? It may be of some Christians too, for Christ is also among the barbarians. Has not he who has carried a crown for this cause on his head fought even against himself? Another sort of service belongs to the royal guards, and indeed, crowns are called castrenses, as belonging to the camp munifica. Likewise, from the Caesarean functions, they perform. But even then, you are still the soldier and the servant of another, and if of two masters, of God and Caesar, but assuredly then, not of Caesar, when you owe yourself to God, as having higher claims, I should think, even in matters in which both have an interest. For state reasons, the various orders of the citizens also are crowned with laurel crowns, but the magistrates besides the golden ones, as at Athens and at Rome, even to those are preferred the Etruscan. This appellation is given to the crowns which, distinguished by their gems and oak leaves of gold, they put on, with mantles having an embroidery of palm branches, to conduct the chariots containing the images of the gods to the circus. There are also provincial crowns of gold, needing now the larger heads of images instead of those of men. But your orders and your magistracies, and your very place of meeting, the church, are Christ. You belong to him, for you have been enrolled in the books of life. There the blood of the Lord serves for your purple robe, and your broad stripe is his own cross. There the axe is already laid to the trunk of the tree. There is the branch out of the root of Jesse. Never mind the state horses with their crown. Your Lord, when, according to the scripture, he would enter Jerusalem in triumph, had not even an ass of his own. These put their trust in chariots, and these in horses, but we will seek our help in the name of the Lord our God. From so much as a dwelling in the Babylon of John's revelation, we are called away, much more then from its pomp. The rabble, too, are crowned, at one time because of some great rejoicing for the success of the emperors, at another on account of some custom belonging to municipal festivals, for luxury strives to make her own every occasion of public gladness. But as for you, you are a foreigner in this world, a citizen of Jerusalem, the city above. Our citizenship, the apostle says, is in heaven. You have your own registers, your own calendar. You have nothing to do with the joys of the world. Nay, you are called to the very opposite, for, quote, the world shall rejoice, but ye shall mourn, end quote. And I think the Lord affirms that those who mourn are happy, not those who are crowned. Marriage, too, decks the bridegroom with its crown, and therefore we will not have heathen brides, lest they seduce us even to the idolatry with which among them marriage is initiated. You have the law from the patriarchs indeed, you have the apostle enjoining people to marry in the Lord, you have a crowning also on the making of a freeman, but you have been already ransomed by Christ, and that at a great price. How shall the world manumit the servant of another? Though it seems to be liberty, yet it will come to be found bondage. In the world everything is nominal, and nothing real, for even then, as ransomed by Christ, you are under no bondage to man, and now, though man has given you liberty, 
you are the servant of Christ. If you think freedom of the world to be real, so that you even seal it with a crown, you have returned to the slavery of man. Imagining it to be freedom, you have lost the freedom of Christ, fancying it is slavery. Will there be any dispute as to the cause of crown-wearing, which contests in the games in their turn supply, and which, both as sacred to the gods and in honor of the dead, their own reason at once condemns? It only remains that the Olympian Jupiter, and the Nemean Hercules, and the wretched little Archimorus, and the hapless Antinous, should be crowned in a Christian, that he himself may become a spectacle disgusting to behold. We have recounted, as I think, all the various causes of the wearing of the crown, and there is not one which has any place with us. All are foreign to us, unholy, unlawful, having been abjured already, once for all in the solemn declaration of the sacrament. For they were of the pomp of the devil and his angels, offices of the world, honors, festivals, popularity huntings, false vows, exhibitions of human servility, empty praises, base glories, and in them all idolatry, even in respect of the origin of the crowns alone, with which they are all wreathed. Claudius will tell us in his preface, indeed, that in the poems of Homer, the heaven also is crowned with constellations, and that no doubt by God, no doubt for man, therefore man himself too should be crowned by God. But the world crowns brothels, and baths, and bakehouses, and prisons, and schools, and the very amphitheaters, and the chambers where the clothes are stripped from dead gladiators, and the very beers of the dead. How sacred and holy, how venerable and pure is the article of dress, determined not from the heaven of poetry alone, but from the traffickings of the whole world. But indeed a Christian will not even dishonor his own gate with laurel crowns, if so be he knows how many gods the devil has attached to doors, Janus so called from gate, Lymentinus from threshold, Phocus and Carna from leaves and hinges, among the Greeks too, the Thyraean Apollo, and the evil spirits, the Antelli. Much less may the Christian put the service of idolatry on his own head. Nay, I might have said, upon Christ, since Christ is the head of the Christian man, for his head is as free as even Christ is, under no obligation to wear a covering, not to say a band, but even the head which is bound to have the veil, I mean woman's, as already taken possession of by this very thing, is not open also to a band. She has the burden of her own humility to bear. If she ought not to appear with her head uncovered on account of the angels, much more with a crown on it will she offend those elders who perhaps are then wearing crowns above. For what is a crown on the head of a woman, but beauty made seductive, but mark of utter wantonness, a notable casting away of modesty, a setting temptation on fire? Therefore, a woman taking counsel from the apostle's foresight will not too elaborately adorn herself, that she may not either be crowned with any exquisite arrangement of her hair. What sort of garland, however, I pray you, did he who is the head of the man and the glory of the woman, Christ Jesus, the husband of the church, submit to in behalf of both sexes, of thorns, I think, and thistles, a figure of the sins which the soil of the flesh brought forth for us, but which the power of the cross removed, blunting in its endurance by the head of our Lord, death's every sting. Yes, and besides the figure, there is contumely with ready lip, and dishonor, and infamy, 
and the ferocity involved in the cruel things which then disfigured and lacerated the temples of the lord that you may now be crowned with laurel and myrtle and olive and any famous branch and which is of more use with hundred-leaved roses too culled from the garden of midas and with both kinds of lily and with violets of all sorts perhaps also with gems and gold so as even to rival that crown of christ which he afterwards obtained for it was after the gall he tasted the honeycomb and he was not greeted as king of glory in heavenly places till he had been condemned to the cross as king of the jews having first been made by the father for a time a little less than the angels and so crowned with glory and honour if for these things you owe your own head to him repay it if you can such as he presented his for yours or be not crowned with flowers at all if you cannot be with thorns because you may not be with flowers keep for god his own property untainted he will crown it if he choose nay then he does even choose he calls us to it to him who conquers he says i will give a crown of life be you too faithful unto death and fight you too the good fight whose crown the apostle feels so justly confident has been laid up for him the angel also as he goes forth on a white horse conquering and to conquer receives a crown of victory and another is ordained with an encircling rainbow as it were in its fair colours a celestial meadow in like manner the elders sit crowned around crowned too with a crown of gold and the son of man himself flashes out above the clouds if such are the appearances in the vision of the seer of what sort will be the realities of the actual manifestation look at those crowns inhale those odours why condemn you to a little chaplet or a twisted headband the brow which has been destined for a diadem for christ jesus has made us even kings to god and his father what have you in common with the flower which is to die you have a flower in the branch of jesse upon which the grace of the divine spirit in all its fullness rested a flower undefiled unfading everlasting by choosing which the good soldier too has got promotion in the heavenly ranks blush ye fellow-soldiers of his henceforth not to be condemned even by him but by some soldier of mithras who at his initiation in the gloomy cavern in the camp it may well be said of darkness when at the sword's point a crown is presented to him as though in mimicry of martyrdom and thereupon put upon his head is admonished to resist and cast it off and if you like transfer it to his shoulder saying that mithras is his crown and thenceforth he is never crowned and he has that for a mark to show who he is if anywhere he be subjugated to trial in respect of his religion and he is at once believed to be a soldier of mithras if he throws the crown away if he say that in his god he has his crown let us take note of the devices of the devil who is wont to ape some of god's things with no other design than by the faithfulness of his servants to put us to shame and to condemn us end of the chaplet